This is Anchored in Christ, the sermon podcast that gives you hope in the gospel as an anchor for your soul. Brought to you from Old South Presbyterian Church in Newburyport, Massachusetts. Would you pray with me, please? Let the gospel come now, O Lord, not merely by human words, but by the power of your Holy Spirit, bringing full conviction. We pray through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. We pray through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. Well, it certainly is high up here. (laughs) I want to read a brief text, the second text for our consideration this morning. It comes from Paul's letter to the church at Rome. Listen to God's word as it comes to us from Romans chapter 4, verse 17. For the kingdom of God is not food and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks Thanks be to God. To begin at the end of George Whitfield's life, but not at the end of his influence. We remember September, we remember September 29th, 1770. For two hours, Whitfield had preached in a field nearby, standing on top of a barrel. He'd begun to feel sick. His asthma was bothering him. He stayed in the home of Reverend Parsons, the pastor of this church that night, a fitful sleep, and at six o'clock in the morning, on the Lord's Day, George Whitfield was called to his heavenly home. The Great Awakening, that phrase even, suggests to us something else. A great slumber, a great sleep, a great complacency. Impiety was rampant in the society according according to many observers and rampant in the church as well. Christianity was in many circles uh, an object of mirth and ridicule. By one count, 17% of the residents in the colonies were churchgoers, regular churchgoers. A listener to um, Whitfield's last sermon told the press, and he was often written up in the press, told the press that the sermon subject for his final sermon was the insufficiency of works to humankind's salvation. He talked about that a lot. Indeed, the doctrine of new birth and justification by faith was the focus of nearly every one of Whitfield's sermons. A constellation of leaders in the church who were used by God in bringing about this this great awakening. Thomas Kidd at uh, Baylor University talks about Whitfield as the key figure in the first generation Anglo-American evangelical Christianity. He 
He says John Wesley was the movement's organizer. Jonathan Edwards was its great theologian. But Whitfield tied it together and gave it a sense of coherence. Whitfield was an interesting man. He, he numbered among his friends John and Charles Wesley and Jonathan Edwards, but also Benjamin Franklin and the Scottish skeptic David Hume. In writing to Benjamin Franklin, on one of many occasions, Whitfield wrote this. You've made a pretty considerable progress in the mysteries of electricity. I would now humbly recommend to you diligent, unprejudiced pursuit and study of the mystery of new birth. It is a most important, interesting study, and when mastered, will richly answer and repay you for all your pains. You will excuse this freedom. I must have something of Christ in all my letters. Hmm. One time he said, he needed to bring up Jesus before he'd been speaking with any individual for 15 minutes. Because he knew that that was his place and his purpose. Uh, to bring the good news of Jesus Christ. It's said that he preached 18,000 sermons over his ministry of 30 years. At one point he said, I'm tired in the Lord's work but not of it. There are, he said in another lecture, so many stony ground hearers who receive the word with joy that I've determined to suspend any judgment till I know the tree by its fruits. I cannot believe they are converts until I see the fruit brought back. Whitfield spoke to thousands but if he were here today, I think he'd pose the same questions that he often raised in his sermons in the 18th century. Are you overconfident in the reality of your deeds, the quality of your deeds? Do you assume that a benevolent God will smile upon you at the end because if you have these deeds to show. To others he might say, are you overcome with grief because you fear that your works are insufficient to merit God's acceptance? I served congregations for 20 years and some of the most heartbreaking and poignant moments in my ministry with my congregations came in personal conversations as I sat speaking with a man in the hospital or a woman in her home. And they would say to me something like this, I just hope there's a place for me. I've tried my best to live a good life, I hope there's a place for me in heaven. And it broke my heart. How was it that they had missed the gospel 
that Sunday after Sunday I was preaching in those churches. But then I thought about my own life and the years in which the gospel seemed to pass over me or I was closed to God's word. To both those who are overconfident in their works and those who are overcome with grief because they fear that they are insufficient. Whitfield would say the same thing. He would say, Jesus, Jesus works, works, he questioned in a sermon. I'd just as soon count on my works as push a rope of sand to the moon. Mind you, this is not theological speculation. Whitfield is speaking to real people about real matters. And I've been with both types of men and women. Those who depended upon themselves, who celebrated all that they had accomplished, what they'd done on their own. A stubborn reliance upon themselves and their good works. And I've also been with those who know they cannot trust in themselves, trust in what they have accomplished. The text from Romans 14, verse 17, is the text that Whitfield preached on. For the kingdom of God is not food and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Now one of the things that you may not know about Whitfield is that he studied acting and was involved in many plays and dramas as a, as a young man, as an old child. And he brought some of those techniques, those communication techniques, into the pulpit. The common pattern for preaching in his day was that a preacher would read a long sermon from a manuscript in a kind of monotone. But Whitfield was a very different kind of communicator. He was active, and he jumped, and he talked, and he moved. Probably not a lot when he was on top of that barrel. <laughs> but he was an amazing communicator. Whitfield talks about the kingdom of God. It's the place where we hear the outward preaching of that work of grace, that inward holiness that is wrought in every soul that is truly converted and finds itself in God. The kingdom is the reign and rule of God in our hearts when we live subject to redeem our Redeemer's laws. It is grace and it is also glory. The kingdom of God is not food and drink. In his message on this text, Whitfield makes it clear. Well, he takes those terms and more broadly applies this teaching to outward things, outward things upon which the people might depend. The kingdom of God, for example, he says, is not, does not consist of being in this or that sect or communion. At his heart, uh, Whitfield had a very ecumenical spirit but he knew the spirit. 
But he knew that finally, becoming a part of a particular church is not what saves us. The kingdom of God does not consist in being baptized when you were young. It's not having one's name in some parish's register book. Neither does the kingdom of God consist of being orthodox in our notions or being able to fluently talk about the doctrines of the gospel. It it is not a matter of being sincere. Nothing, Whitfield makes it clear, as does the Apostle Paul, nothing will recommend us to God but the righteousness of Jesus Christ. It does not consist in a dry, lifeless morality, going about establishing a righteousness of our own, building upon a rotten foundation. We will find ourselves mistaken if the kingdom of God is not in our hearts. The kingdom of God is not going to church It's not receiving the sacraments twice a year and reading the scriptures and family worship and prayers in our closet. Those can be authentic expressions of faith in Christ. Those can be expressions of our longing for a new life in Christ. But if we stay focused upon our deeds and what we have done, we miss the truth that God in Christ has done for us what we cannot do for ourselves. And that it is by faith in him that we are restored to a relationship with our maker. To a relationship with our maker. All that is possible, all those things are possible to do while knowing nothing of the Lord, nothing of the Lord Jesus Christ in our hearts. And this was Whitfield's own experience as a young man, as an Anglican. He found that he was deceived by a form of of godliness where he trusted in his accomplishments, but it was a most fatal snare. God, he writes, was pleased to dart a ray of light into my soul. And show me I must be a new creature. There are, he warned, so many grasp the shadow and lose the substance. He read a book that influenced him, The Life of God and the Soul of Man. And he read that a man may read and pray and go to church and be constant in the duties of the Sabbath and yet not be a Christian. He wondered what the man would be at. Uh, He was ready to throw this book away until at last he realized that religion was a union of the soul with God. The image of God wrought upon the heart, or Christ Jesus formed in us. Then God, he writes, was pleased with these words to cast a ray of light into my soul. With the light there came a new power. And from that very moment I knew I must be a new creature, This perhaps may be your case, my dear hearers. Perchance many of you may be loving, good-natured people, good-natured people, and detest the duties of religion, 
But take care, take care for Christ's sake that you do not rest on these things. The kingdom of God is not food and drink. It is not about religious activity or religious exercises. What the kingdom of God, Whitfield goes on to describe, is, is true religion. The kingdom of God is righteousness. Christ's righteousness must be imputed and made over to us and applied to our hearts. It is peace. A peace of God's making. A peace that can be felt. A tangible peace that shapes our lives. Peace that passes understanding. As Paul writes, our lives. Peace that passes understanding. As Paul writes, he is our peace. The kingdom of God is righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. And here he's not talking, Paul is not talking about pleasure. He's not talking about happiness. He's talking about a pure joy that no one can take from you. It, it, it amounts to an assurance of faith that the soul is reconciled to God through Christ and that Jesus dwells in our hearts. That's true peace. You'll remember perhaps that early in his ministry, Whitfield was influenced by John and Charles Wesley. Reading from Luther's preface to the Epistle to the Romans, and was describing the change which God works in the heart through faith in Christ. And in his journal, John Wesley writes these words, I felt my heart strangely warmed. I felt I did trust in Christ alone for salvation and an assurance that had been given to me that he had taken away my sins, even mine, and saved me from the law of sin and death. New birth was the centerpiece of Whitfield's teaching and preaching. Justification by faith in Christ. And if he were around today, some things would be different. I'm sure he would have a Facebook account. He made, he, I'm sure he would have a Facebook account. He made, he made an, a creative and innovative use of the media of his age. Pamphlets and books and newspaper articles and sending word ahead that he was going to arrive at such and such a place on such and such a day so that people would know that he was coming. He would leave a place and return a year later and his popularity was even greater because of sermons that had been distributed and parts of his journals that had been copied and and shared with the people. I think what Whitfield would say to us, though, today is very much the same message that he spoke from that barrel in the field. A heart that's remade and joined with Christ and justification that comes through faith in him. He faced a lot of adversity in his life, a lot of pressure, some of it was probably of his own making. 
He had a particular habit of saying unkind things about the clergy. And they often said unkind things about him. There, there was no church that would hold 8,000 people or 20,000 people. And so they would gather outside of the church. It became a kind of parachurch ministry, this preaching ministry of his. And he often called out religious leaders for this empty kind of rote religion that was far less than what God intended to be vital, vibrant, new life in Christ. When I read Jesus quoting from the book of, reading from the book of the prophet Isaiah about his purpose and his ministry, for me it, it, it connects about his purpose and his ministry. For me it, it, it connects with what Whitfield was trying to do. The words from Isaiah are these. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. It is in Jesus' purpose that we find our calling. And George Whitfield believed that good news needs to be shared. And so urgency characterized everything that he did. And there was in his preaching and in his life a holistic witness to the character of God's grace. The orphanage in the College of New Jersey. For Whitfield, faith was something that was terribly personal, but not private. And he knew about the reality of opposition. Last Sunday, the Outreach Foundation, which I'm privileged to serve, had a guest with us, the, the pastor of the Presbyterian Church in Baghdad, Iraq. And he preached a sermon entitled, Pray for Persecution. Because their experience has been that pressure, that persecution, has been a kind of refiner's fire. And it's helped them stay focused on the main things. Whitfield experienced persecution in his ministry. Again, maybe some of it he brought upon himself. Upon himself. But he also preached about persecution, understanding that there is a conflict between the values and ways of this world mm -hmm. and the kingdom of God. Those of you who are Presbyterians may remember that in our Book of Order, there is a statement about the mission of the church described as the great ends of the church. It comes from the United Presbyterian Church of North America, and the sixth of the great ends, the one that summarizes them all, says that the great end of the church is the exhibition of the kingdom of heaven to the world. Whitfield believed that. Mm -hmm. I wonder if we believe it. That when the world looks at us, the world sees what God intends. The world sees what God intends for all of humankind. Mm -hmm. 
Now, I know myself in my own heart, and that frightens me a bit because I know what a broken and sinful person I am. So my prayer is that what I will exhibit to the world is a heart that belongs to Jesus and a life that displays his grace. Not the things that I have done, but a life lived in gratitude for the things that Jesus has done. Thy kingdom come, we pray. Thy will be done, we pray. On earth, in our lives, as it is in heaven. What really upset the people in Nazareth about Jesus preaching that day, that he lifted up how God's grace had gone to people outside of God's people Israel, to the widow of Zarephath and to the Syrian. One of the things that uh, I'm learning is that Jesus continues, as Paul writes and describes it, to break down the dividing wall of hostility. Mm-hmm. And I believe that's one of the things that Jesus expects us to show the world. Mm-hmm. I think Whitfield got this. The way he reached across sectarian and denominational boundaries to share this vision of a life animated by faith in Jesus Christ that has taken our hearts and that shapes our lives. And remember what Jesus said. By this all people will know that you are my disciples, that you have love. Let us love. And let us not be satisfied with religious ritual, but offer our hearts again to the Lord that the world might see in our lives not our greatness, but God's grace. Mm -hmm. And that when our final day comes, we would be taken in and give thanks for the signs of God's faithfulness through all our years. Bless you, Mm -hmm. as from this place and to the ends of the earth, you share the love of Jesus Christ and show the world what God intends for humankind. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Old South Presbyterian Church in Newburyport, Massachusetts. If you'd like more information about our historic church, or you'd like to find out more about the gospel of Jesus, please visit our website at oldsouthnbpt.org. The peace of Christ be with you.
Thank you for listening to this sermon from Old South Presbyterian Church in Newburyport, Massachusetts. If you'd like more information about our historic church, or you'd like to find out more about the gospel of Jesus, please visit our website at oldsouthnbpt.org. The peace of Christ be with you.